We the people who love bread have to fight to maintain our freedom to get bread. Welcome to Worldcasting, where we discuss real, made-up things. I'm your host, Dino, and today you'll be joining me in a discussion on punkography. We'll dive into the different punk genres, how they can be used to frame your setting, and how they differ from one another. Today joining me are Chris, Immokinate, Opal, and Red, if you'd be so kind as to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Chris. I work with a nonprofit teaching world building to children and playing Dungeons and Dragons with children. Hello, I'm Immaculate, the editorial chair here at World Building Magazine. I'm an avid video gamer, tabletop gamer, and as you may guess, world builder. Glad to be here. Hello, my name is Ophel. I'm an editor for the for the magazine, World Building Magazine, and I'm very happy to be here. I'm Red. I am one of the editing deputies for World Building Magazine, one of Immaculate's lackeys. And uh, I consider myself a bit of a storytelling connoisseur. Well, thank you all for joining me today. I'm happy to have you. So to get us started right off, and with just a bare bones, quick introduction of what is a punk? You know, the different styles, you'll always hear them. I think cyberpunk and steampunk are the two major ones at the very least, if not main stay ones. What do you guys find it is that defines the different punk genres from, say, more mainstay genres such as fantasy? I think it's probably that counter counterculture kind of feeling to it, in a way, or the trying to be a bit more anti-establishment, maybe? I agree with Opal. It feels like no matter what kind of punk or what is like the, not exactly dressing, but the aesthetic of the punk, the conflict between something and something is going to be in there. Something versus something, such as corporatist versus the people, or magic versus technology. Yeah, and like I guess, I guess to also narrow it down. It's usually uh, kind of like a David versus Goliath situation. It doesn't seem like an even side, or even sides are the ones duking it out. It's usually someone that's clearly lording over the other, and the other is kind of that underdog, that representation of a counterculture where. They really shouldn't have a winning chance because of how big the, the opposition is. Yeah, and that, that comes along either nar- uh, both narratively and in the setting too. I mean, it was born out of the punk revolutions of you know like the seventies and eighties, but it also comes about too uh, in the more modern era from that that same idea of it, like a David versus Goliath sort of situation. Even in <laughs> being a punk against punk stuff. Solar punk, which we'll get to at some point, I'm sure, is in and of itself not narratively a a punk thing. Like there, you wouldn't really see anyone rebelling against this sort of thing. But setting wise, solar punk is sort of a punk genre in that it, it is punk against a bleak outlook on the future and a more positive look at being able to become one, both technologically and sort of spiritually with nature. It's the uh, like it's almost the idea that it's. A refutation of the nihilism of cyberpunk, for instance, where it's right. it's more hopeful and bright, and the stories that are contained within tend to be much more upbeat and much more—I would almost say heroic for the sake of heroism. Yeah, it's so punk that it punks the punk. Yeah. So I think the common consensus we have is that 
a punk genre is one where the small fight the mighty in some regard, or the status quo is disrupted. Or to begin, the status quo is in flux and imbalanced. So you have a couple of joint jumping off points here from, from my perspective, at least. I don't know if this is true, and you guys can tell me if it's not, but in my mind, at least, too, for one of the distinctions is while there is this struggle between the, you know, David and Goliath, like you guys mentioned, there's always some aspect of technology being a focal point in the struggle or the like punk's hero journey or their version of it, right? Whereas in like typical sword and sorcery fantasy, it can be like the hero's journey where you're discovering yourself or against the unknown and da 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 and these sorts of things. Whereas all the punk genres, they always seem to, the way they incorporate technology is their story is about trying to keep our humanity as we move through technological advances. Or is that not true for every punk genre? Actually, that's a really good way to look at it, I think. Because sometimes people do get entrapped in the very basic definition that we gave, that it is sort of a David and Goliath situation, because there are some exceptions to that. Adam Punk, for instance, is usually an exception to that. I can't think of a solid Adam Punk example, for instance, that has a sort of David and Goliath thing. But it does have that technology as a focus. Oh, I'm sure there are some. Flash Gordon. <laughs> but like, there's a, there is a technological focus. And, and yeah, it's, there's often a story of us maintaining our humanity uh, amidst technology and using it to our benefit. I, I mean, I guess I kind of like that, what you said, Chris. I can't rephrase it the same way you did, but I liked it. So yes, I'm going to say yes, I agree. <laughs> I also really agree with how Chris put it. I think that's a fantastic way to kind of pull in technology, considering we have stuff like cyberpunk and solar punk, diesel punk, steampunk, which is like, when you think of it, oh, look, machines, to kind of build onto it. I also want to add technology as kind of the indicator of the kind of punk you're in, because when you do think of like those genres I just listed, there are different aesthetics for each one. And more often than not, probably the easiest way to do it is by the technology presented by those different genres. Maybe we should introduce these like different uh, subgenres for listeners, because I know for sure I did not hear some of these before I started like preparing for this podcast. A lot of what I learned about solar punk is straight from uh, the magazine issue that we have on technology. And we're totally going to link that. Yeah, they're, they're very... Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If, you're, if you haven't read it yet, I, I, I don't want to like self-rep myself i helped write part of this article and I, I gotta say it is one of our our funner articles because we were able to go through and break down some of these major punk genres and yeah i mean we definitely ought to break these down so we can start with solar punk uh, mostly because red and i work on a collaborative project called Haroma, which is a solar punk world with some elements of diesel punk in it and i guess this is a good example of how the genres can blend so I guess we can quickly overview, if you guys don't mind, the different genres we will talk about today. That way, we'll have a better basis of the words we are using, so people won't get too lost. To begin, the two major ones are cyberpunk and steampunk, uh, cyberpunk being the er example of the punk genre and essentially the founder of it. We briefly mentioned Adam Punk, which is essentially the days of tomorrow today, so the hopeful outlook of the 50s and super technology. The Venture Bros is a good example of this. The apocalypse, so the apocalypse with technology such as Mad Max or Waterworld. Biopunk, Dungeon Punk, Fantastic Noir, as for mentioned, Diesel Punk, Sandal Punk, Solar Punk, and Urban Fantasy slash Magipunk, just to kind of give a quick overview. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't get too caught up too. And like personally, if you're like going to set out to write in one of these genres, don't think to yourself that there's a very strict set of guidelines that you have to adhere to. This is a sort of more of a beneficial resource for you to understand what is typically in the genre. But I mean, we, in preparing for this, we're discussing how much these sometimes can blend together. And that's kind of one of the fun things, I think, about punk genres, too, though, is, is the fact that they do sometimes blend together. It offers you a lot of uh, fun leeway, a lot of things that you can play with. I think it is important to consider, though, that like the technology aspect of it is like usually one of the defining natures of like that specific punk sub-sub-genre. I guess it's a sub-sub-genre, right? Micro-genre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can, we can do this, guys. The genre is punk, so whatever's under is a sub-genre. So are you saying like the technology is particular in defining of the subgenre or is there something else with like below the subgenre that we should also account for as like its own technology or a sub subgenre as was mentioned because I I wasn't quite sure what the uh, what the what to what part that was addressed to I think when it comes to like genre fictional worlds part of the punk aesthetic is like the technology that's a part of it and defining which subgenre of punk that it is depends on like what kind of technology is there so technology being the key focus then um so aesthetics really is what drives the punk genre you would is what what i'm hearing that it's what technology they're using less so than the themes and the um symbology of the different genres there is no difference there it is the aesthetics of the technology like we've mentioned, solar punk, diesel punk, and steampunk all have very unique looks that are pretty noticeable just on site. The lines blur a little bit as you go on, in my opinion. Yeah, the easiest way to break these down, I think, would be aesthetic. Uh, you can usually tell when you're in one of these uh, just by the look of it, usually. So, yeah, I guess I'll agree then that it's defining for subgenres. But um, to kind of loop back to what we were talking about, was it solar punk as being this counterculture to obliqueness that we see in other punks, I think there is more of kind of defining aspect to genre itself, and that kind of goes back to conflict. I'm going to argue that while there is like the aesthetic, that like technology and what have you will definitely define aesthetic, but conflict is a bit more um, is a bit more pervasive within the genre itself, just because when I think of like cyberpunk and biopunk and think of big core versus the little guy or people doing awful things just because they need this technology or they've been put in a situation because of kind of calculated uh, orchestrated scenarios or rather dependence orchestrated by the big guy. It's very dystopian. And while not everything is, while not every subgenre of punk is dystopian, there is a tendency to think of it more as, um, as they're having a negative conflict to it rather than kind of just enjoying it for just that aesthetic. And granted, that's what makes solar punk kind of a special, special, special uh, scenario is that it's, it's bright. <laughs> it's different. Right. Yeah. So we'll dive in with solar punk. Yeah. So solar punk is uh, interesting. It's a, it's a rather new development. It is the, probably the newest of all the punks. Uh, it kicked off back in 2014 because of a Tumblr post. Someone had done art for what they proposed to be a like a solar punk world. You can find examples of literature that has been classified by some people as solar punk prior to 2014, but that's kind of the uh, the internet's 
creation date, if you will, for uh, for solar punk. Uh, what solar punk is, uh, as we mentioned before, is is it's usually a optimistic outlook on uh, on the future. It's a very very stark contrast to the more gritty vision of the future that cyberpunk has, and that's really where so- solar punk had its roots was in the notion that uh, if we do uh, kind of push more towards using technology in a way that is sustainable and is not used for things like corporate greed and things like that, that the world can sort of reach this equality both with nature and with itself. And it's really it's really neat aesthetically. If you have never looked into solar punk art, uh, honestly, just look it up. Uh, a lot of people have stuck pretty closely to the aesthetic for that too even despite it not being what i would call a major major punk genre again it's very 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 young only a few years um but uh it focuses largely still on the sort of uh victorian era sort of aesthetic that steampunk does but it pushes a little bit closer to the art nouveau it's very uh flowery very uh very golly what's the word i'm looking for it's just it's, again it's very bright very colorful I, there's not a lot of better ways to put it than that i think a movie version of what i can kind of explain um especially with the reference of in the past reascribing the term to different media would be howl's moving castle the aesthetic in the first half of the movie is it, it's there and a lot of people do uh, they, uh they'll also in fact a lot of <laughs> Miyazaki films, uh, regardless of how they pan out, because yeah, most Miyazaki films start out with a totally different aesthetic in the beginning, sort of, and as the tone shifts, everything else shifts with it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of Miyazaki films kick off this way. Uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind could, in some ways, be argued uh, to be that, despite being more of a post-apocalyptic scenario, but it is a little bit more colorful. It's uh, Miyazaki films are a great way to look at it. Howl's Moving Castle, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind both very prime examples of that kind of aesthetic castle in the sky yep, the city of laputa um and zootopia is even a good example of it it's it's a bright colorful, yes, yes it peaceful world um and it kind of uh, i feel like too many people would shoehorn solar punk into it can only have these upbeat tones and themes in their uh, stories but i think even zootopia kind of has this good idea of it shows real city people with real city problems kind of just living their lives. And I think that there's a room to tell grittier and darker stories in solar punk, kind of like how Miyazaki starts in this solar punk, vivid, bright world and always kind of changes and darkens as the movie goes on. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, as you had name dropped our collaboration before, uh, this is sort of a, a thing that I wanted to do with Hiroma when we kind of kicked it off was solar punk is often, uh, by its nature attributed to on the online community as being this thing where it's, it is very utopic. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, the world is right kind of things, uh, which kind of makes, makes it tough for people to write in, I think, because they are worried about, uh, rocking that boat and not getting in the solar punk community's good graces. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of room for telling some slightly darker and grittier stories. So heck, that's that's my challenge to you guys, uh, both here, my fellow co- my fellow hosts, uh, and uh, the people listening to this. I, I, if you haven't, try writing stuff in a solar punk uh, world and give it sort of a slightly darker bent. See what you can do with it. Because the uh, 
again, it's a young genre, so a lot of people are trying to play it safe in that regard, that they're trying to uh, stay with that idea of focusing more on community and inequality uh, in, in a society that is, again, very utopic. Um, but it doesn't lend itself well to conflict because of that. Uh, if everything is bright and flowery, uh, it's kind of hard to to throw in a conflict that seems natural. Uh, but uh, solar punk has got a long way to go uh, to develop as a genre, really. And I think that's one of the things it's got to it's going to have to come to terms with is that it needs to have room for conflict. In that vein, I want to offer a, and correct me if this would fit better. I was thinking of Wakanda from Black Panther. No, that is very, uh, very solar punky. Uh, that's actually probably one of the best modern examples. Uh, as much as I hate to agree with that notion, but yeah, it's it's actually a weirdly okay example. They're using technology in a way that allows them to not, I guess, be obtrusive on the world that they live in. It's like their conflict is with the larger world around them rather than necessarily inside. But that, that kind of gets uh, addressed in the movie that there is an internal conflict, but it's not because of their technology. It's more of a, more of the, not exactly like, um, well, that's wrong. It's the, ideo- the ideology behind the usage of their technology, which is staying inside and kind of, what's that called? Cordoned off from the rest of the world or bringing it out for a larger, not audience, but for for the world to see and that was kind of the crux of kind of personal conflicts in that story too it also kind of goes back to the idea of something versus something it's us versus the outside world mm-hmm. well i was thinking of um how we were saying that in most of these punks that the the typical struggle is trying to keep our humanity in technology and at first i could see what you were saying where it seems like solar punk would have a difficult time with generating conflict in that but it sounds like it is essentially like utopic because people had to sacrifice you know what most people would consider natural human inclinations like um, looking out for yourself and even even if you say these are bad inclinations these are things that everyone has right and so you are losing your humanity in a sense for technology to preserve the world you're sacrificing your wants and desires so that everyone can meet, you know, larger ones. So it, you can tell stories in that that are sort of still anti-establishment. They just wouldn't feel the same as like a cyberpunk where you're fighting a giant evil corporation. Now it's more like 1984-esque. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm actually surprised I haven't seen yet. It's Again, it's hard to search for stuff in this genre because there just aren't a lot of content creators for it. Uh, but yeah... That is probably one of the places that I would love to see some really cool conflict is because solar punk is such a, a, a polar opposite from the rest of the punk genres, that must introduce its own sort of problems. Like you said, like sort of a 1984 situation. And uh, yeah, that'd be something really cool to see, I think. Um, very some, Something very fun to play with because it is kind of a world post-conflict. Uh, it's a world that has come to terms with finding that balance, but perhaps they found a little too much balance in a way. It makes me think that solar punk might, and this is a theory, might work best when it's like a genre that's mixed with other genres. Because when I'm thinking of like, like I mentioned Black Panther, I'm thinking of the Miyazaki movies that you mentioned and thinking of the conflict. It's like the conflict for, I think, like Howl's Moving Castle was completely external. I thought from like what made it really solar punk for sure. Cause it was like a personal conflict and they have these mages 
So it didn't feel like it was a solar punky conflict, whatever that might look. And even when we look at the Wakandan example, it was pretty much a lot of external politics. And Wakanda itself, like the technology was kind of the focus, but it wasn't the determinant of the conflict for it, if that makes sense. It was like the ideologies for it. It's ideology and interpersonal conflict, which I think are some of the more interesting conflicts anyways. It's also really broad. (laughs) So just to be on the same page here, so Solarpunk basically is something, it's a world where there's a lot of technology, but it's also really green um, and not necessarily a fusion of incorporating like plant life into the technology. No, because that would be a little bit more on the biopunk side. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so you're catching on. Segue. <laughs> and so we shall segue into biopunk and how horrifying it can be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. There, there is a really dark, dark side to biopunk. But yeah, I mean, you can transition to it from solar punk, one of the happiest genres out there. <laughs> and it's funny because, yes, there's the idea of using plants for technology and growing your vessels and, and your vehicles. You just generally, oh, I want to grow a computer. It's very biopunk, living in this plant or animal-based world. The book Leviathan is a great example of this, where World War I's fought between the diesel clankers and the biopunk Darwinists. And the Darwinists have this floating whale ship, essentially, a carrier ship. And it's all these weapons are made out of animals. And this is what I would call the happy side of biopunk. Pokemon could arguably be considered uh, a happy side of biopunk. It's also considered slavery. So we may not. Yeah, that's animal cruelty. (laughs) Animal cruelty. It's all because of the bright aesthetics. It tricks you into thinking you're just cute little. It's all in the name of friendship. (laughs) So you're telling me that Pokemon is biopunk solar punk. See? It is the transitional zone, though. No better example than Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. It's that is probably like the most in between biopunk and solar punk thing I've ever seen. If you, if you need an example, that's it. Like we're, I'm not even going to define it. That that is the example <laughs> of the in between. Really is. Um, but for biopunk, there's a lot of ways that it can be. I think biopunk is simultaneously an aesthetic and a dev- and a device that can be used. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not just um, an overarching genre like or aesthetic like solar punk or diesel punk or steampunk. Ironically enough, too, I, I would consider biopunk the second least used of pretty much most of these punk genres. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of biopunk, uh, I mean, at least, at least mainstream speaking. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, one of the more up-and-coming biopunk uh, worlds is from the valiant universe uh i know the that uh rye comics re- or sorry the valiant comics recently rebooted their uh rye series which is um and also their bloodshot series i'm not sure if bloodshot really counts i think it does but it's like basically uh soldiers are made out of uh like a mix of humans and nanotechnology and they're uh created and uh to become the the most optimal weapon. Um, and it, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty fascinating the way they do it. So then what, what was it? You mentioned the reboot or what was it for, for which one? Riot? Riot, R-A-I. It's a, uh, it's a uh, basically a comic series about uh, 
the 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 nano hybrid or some of them are aren't even um hybrids some of them are just like robots and they have different like prototype versions so some of them are mixed hybrids between humans and nanotechnology and then others are uh just straight up the technology and uh rai has to do with a specific character and his world uh he i believe he's from a place called new japan which is like somewhere way off in the future gotcha i actually think that works really well with what with what red just said um where it seems like biopunk isn't always the most used punk genre and opal's example i think highlights how it how it falls into that but might also be one of the more used punk genres because it seems like it's just perfect to squeeze into a different punk genre because when you are in a setting things will be alive uh things have life and sometimes the easiest things to manipulate or kind of cross the line in manipulating is life i fully agree i I was gonna say the same thing that it's not really the least used it's just the it's not really the most prevalent because it's always kind of there in a lot of media yeah it's like you said uh earlier it's definitely been used in things but it itself as like a a solo genre uh it at the very least doesn't get much popularity uh, on that front but yeah you definitely see themes of biopunk in other things uh, and that that goes back to us saying that it's kind of fun to mix some of these up a little sometimes mm-hmm. and i want to highlight that with the biopunk example that dino gave which was um, the leviathan series it's yeah i agree that was a very very optimistic way to approach biopunk while also being mixed with steampunk essentially so Point, point there, but I, I'm also kind of just thinking about what full biopunk looks like, and it's really terrifying if you if you think <laughs> what, uh, what it means to have a kind of dystopian biopunk. It's it's not great. Like I, I think of like the most probably the tamest example would be like designer babies, and that's something that we are starting to think of in the real life with genetic um genetic editing. What was it genetic cutting? CRISPR? Yeah. And it's like you put that on full blast and what do you get? Yeah. My favorite real world example is uh, Victimless Leather. It's like an art piece by um, the Tissue Culture and Arts Project. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have not. Uh, they basically took uh, like cell tissue culture, I believe, and they are growing a jacket out of like real skin in a lab. Or, or they're making um, a jacket out of like basically cell tissue or i don't know the correct terminology but right so it's like the lab grown meat stuff that they're trying to do too yeah yeah very fascinating stuff very bizarre <laughs> bizarre for sure <laughs> it's it's really this this odd kind of look where you kind of quirk your head to the side and like throw it back and go all right that's terrifying and that's the dark side of biopunk because it starts off with my coat was grown in a lab to my coat sometimes screams when it's in the closet too long. <laughs> Far ranging ends of the body horror of things like Phyrexia from Magic the Gathering, where machine and flesh and magic are one. And it's this Hellraiser aesthetic where it's just pure torture art, body, body horror. And it's just 
it's probably one of the reasons why it's not used that much because it's so easy to devolve into it when it is the main aesthetic of something. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like gene splicing different creatures and then conflicts that come from one morality, ethics, and then kind of also the biopunk technology versus the world versus nature. What happens when I guess Jurassic World is biopunk, if I think if I'm starting to think about it. Yeah, it's definitely got biopunk elements. Definitely. And and there are two words that that a lot of people who like anime know that you didn't realize it's biopunk until you hear them and think about it. And it's just Ed word. <laughs> no. Yeah. Stop. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist with the chimeras. It's biopunk. It, those are grown. <laughs> I'm so glad that this has brought, been brought up now a second time. <laughs> the whole generation will never get over it. Everyone is. Everyone's gonna be crying about this episode now too. We've got two episodes that make people cry. <laughs> no one wants a reminder. <laughs> yeah. Ironically enough, the main bad guy from uh, I think it's Power Rangers Zero or Zio or it's the it's the one where they're in space. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers when they're in space. He's a biopunk bad guy because he's a designer baby that went wrong, where all the evil in the world was put inside of him. Yeah. I don't remember why I remember this, but I can even vividly imagine it in my head, the entire scene. Oh. Since we're talking anime, I think My Hero Academia is biopunk at this point, too. Really? Yes. No moves. Hey. Oh, yeah. See, that is biopunk used as a device. And generally, quirks were like, we don't know where they come from, but there is a thing as uh, genetically, uh, genetically deciding or genetically trying for certain combinations of quirks by marrying people. Because one of the characters at Todoroki is a fruit of that attempt. Mm, that feels, yeah, I guess that kind of, that kind of blurs the line. That's like uh, eugenics right there. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's also a theme with biopunk. Just adds to the horror. So it, if you want another really solid example too, of biopunk, uh, the, Video game Bioshock is uh, another fun. I'm going to use this as a segue again. Uh, is another fun, great, uh, great example of biopunk in that the whole premise relies heavily on the fact that uh, you know you have this society underwater that has made itself capable of uh, changing their genetics uh, and using that to do things like shoot fire from their hands and stuff. Um, it's a uh, it's an interesting combination though uh, of both biopunk and uh, sort of a uh, I mean more or less a steampunk aesthetic. It's Bioshock is just such a like a visually interesting game because of that uh, mixing those two things together both uh, narratively and visually it is very very unique. Can you name what the timeline is for Bioshock? It's all history, so I can't remember where the kind of the stepping point off is. Because depending on the answer, I I might have a bit of a, I might I might what's that called contest you a bit. Well, yeah, because I mean, like you could you could argue that it's a little bit more towards diesel punk. Because if I recall correctly, it golly, I can't spoil this too much. I guess uh, there's a plane crash, uh, and it happens in the '60s, uh, if I recall correctly. So I mean, timeline wise, it would lean towards diesel punk things, but. Aesthetically, I'm more inclined to say steampunk just because of how... Well, Bioshock, uh, I- I'm inclined more towards... I guess we might have different... It's... Boy, this is, a, this is a can of worms! 
No, see, I would disagree because it's the aesthetics of the clothes. Yeah, we, we might have different ideas for um what, what the steampunk. That was actually what I was going to say. Is like, I don't, when I looked at the Bioshock, like Bioshock 1 and Bioshock 2, and I look at Rapture, I wasn't thinking steampunk necessarily because it felt more like a modern city that had some of these facets to it, but it wasn't like the was this true? pronounced cogs and kind of massive buildings that have clocks on them or the city of brass necessarily it reminded me of like maybe it was me thinking of a different aesthetic for steampunk that's what i was like thinking it looks more like underwater new york city and they just the things that you see are more out of necessity rather than necessarily a way of kind of um, highlighting the technological aesthetics of it yeah I'll, I'll amend myself and say it's it's definitely leans more towards diesel punk in retrospect i actually would disagree um i think it actually is adam punk because it's 50s and 60s aesthetic. oh okay yeah that's, <laughs> that's fair too ah these timelines <laughs> and it has a higher bent towards super science mixed with but but uh there is uh golly i was gonna point something out hold on a second here i, ha- I have the idea let me just reach back for it here it's in my head i believe in you <laughs> uh, I was gonna say something, and I don't remember what it was now. Oh, I remember! I remember. I'm sorry. Don't mean to interrupt. Uh, but I, I, you have to be careful. The steampunk thing. Um, I will tell you right now. We could lose a bunch of our audience here. Stick with us, guys. Uh, for saying that steampunk relies uh, solely on cogs, brass, and clockwork. Um, I'll tell you right now, uh, there are a lot of people in the steampunk community who are super finicky about people pretending that that's all that steampunk's got going for it. So just sort of a caveat to to what you said earlier. Uh, just be careful thinking that that's the only thing that steampunk has to offer. Yes, yes. I will apologize to them. <laughs> because I, I did admit that. I'm like, I might have a very narrow view of steampunk because I'm not a big steampunk fan. Like, I like it when it shows up. But I don't feel like, as I've consumed enough media, that gives me a wide breadth of, uh, of that punk genre. So I do admit that. I'll apologize if I offend anyone by what I said. The problem is, is that is the prominent parts of it. So I'm going to offend steampunk people by saying this uh, in reverse now, too. But, Wait, Red, no. I mean, yeah, it okay, is. It, enough backtracking. <laughs> <laughs> it is prominent in steampunk. Uh, that's why people attribute those things to steampunk. But yeah, don't be fooled. It's not the only thing. That's going on in steampunk. So, yeah, Byronic heroes and Victorian dress are there as well. I think one of the better examples of um, steampunk is probably the anime Steam Boy uh, by Katsuhiro Otomo because it's it's really oh yeah it does a really great job of like combining like the actual technology aspects with the uh, Victorian aesthetic or I don't I'm not right would it be the Victorian aesthetic but yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it does a really good job of combining those two and like making that a, a central point of both the narrative and the overall aesthetic of the world. Yeah, uh, another solid example, and I brought this up in the magazine, uh, is April in the Extraordinary World. And I bring it up because it's a solid example of making the technology central part of both the aesthetic and your narrative. It does a really fun job of pulling out uh, some of the things that people do do with steampunk. Uh, largely, it's alt history stuff. What would happen if we just moved on with steam, uh, steam technology and called it good? Although in April in the Extraordinary World, they're forced to because the world's scientists are disappearing. So they're stuck in the Victorian era technology-wise. And it, it's a very fun, uh, very fun play on, on pushing that timeline forward instead of just setting it in uh, the Victorian era or a 
corollary for the Victorian era. Instead, it says what would happen if you know things did still move forward, but it stayed steam. What about something like um, Dishonored? Does that count as two genres? It's steampunk and something else because it incorporates magic or at least the fantastical in the main character's uh, abilities with the godlike figure in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost want to say it just barely counts as magipunk just because what's that called it's it's not like magic is a big thing for everyone it's more like a cult like this very small percentage of people and our our, our, our what's it called our view of it is going to be skewed because the people encounter in our protagonists are magic but right right just thinking about wider society it's like it's something that people do for fun or because they're they legitimately believe it is a cult, but not the wider society actually uses it. But I do love that uh, it got brought up as a steampunk example, and I, that's a fantastic one because I love I love Dishonored so much. Yeah, it rides the line between uh, just a regular steampunk and uh, what people call gas lamp fantasy. Uh, it's basically steampunk just with a more uh, magical aesthetic to it. But you're right. Uh, I wouldn't say that it uses magic enough for you to quite push it into gas lamp. Uh, it is definitely a very beautiful example of steampunk because a lot of a lot of thing that people don't think about uh, too much when they talk steampunk and stuff like that is what society thought of that kind of stuff back in that time. If you go and read literature of that era, people are still very fascinated with the occult and stuff like that, and that's why I would lean towards just calling it steampunk instead of gas lamp. I feel like the you brought up an interesting point with gas lamp, and it's. When it comes down to the punk genres, people like to overanalyze them a little bit too much. And there are some that exist that sh- shouldn't exist. Like gas lamp, that'd be an interesting term for one that's like the 18th century with some fantasy elements and a little bit of like hyper technology for the time. But saying that it's just steampunk with more magic, you don't need a whole genre. You can just say it's steampunk with more. Right, right. Magic is not precluded from steampunk. A great example is Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic Obscura an amazing isometric game by interplay, the people who made the original fallouts and it is phenomenal. And that one is literally just like steampunk of the late 19th century mixed with this like awesome bent on magic and how the two don't get along together. And it is literally magic versus technology. And this is something that's occurred to me because we haven't really spoken of it specifically because we've covered technological aspects and aesthetics but right in the names of the punks are kind of i think another now think about it very important defining thing for some of these genres is the that that i was like the prefix of the punk for example steampunk steam powered items atom punk atomic power diesel punk runs on diesel solar punk i well sun it's, it's bright but Solar energy, maybe? Yeah, they do rely a lot on solar energy. Solar energy, yeah. It's uh, the, the energy form, so what powers technology is. Uh, it's some, uh, some works kind of focus on kind of the acquisition, the maintenance, and the conflict around maintaining energy sources because it is kind of the source for what lets this setting or this punk be what it is. And I only got thinking of it because because Dishonored was brought up, and while it's not exactly, it doesn't run on Steam, most of the things don't run on Steam directly. Instead, it runs on whale oil, which is this very valuable, very um, often harvested and highly valued resource that is then kind of, in the store, in the game itself, not exactly uh, 
massive source of conflict, but is highlighted in the setting and constantly used and brought up as a either option for the players or something that's like a plot point or usage in a mission or what have you. Yeah, and I'll I'll bring up my my typical soapbox for when I'm on these podcasts, but if you're not playing with these genres, uh, you're not making your setting unique enough. Like you said, Dishonored is great because it takes that steampunk. Uh, it takes basically everything from steampunk, but yeah, it says, well, you know, the world's going to run on whale oil instead, and it gives itself something to separate itself from from the other things in the crowd. And that's just one small bit of the really fun things that they play with in Dishonored to make themselves stand out. You should take these genres uh, and mix them with things like we said before uh if there is something you're interested in see which of these hits close to what you want to play with and and find a way to insert that it gives your world such a very beautiful and dynamic contrast from other things and it may not jive with everyone but if you can make something you're proud of and something that you think is cool because again the rule of cool is king nine times out of ten you're doing it right and that biopunk is just peeking in from the corner, waiting to be used. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So from here, maybe we can talk about the one that is perhaps the most used, the most played with, the most changed, the beginning of it all, really. Cyberpunk, the place where it all began, where the overarching genre of punks gets its terminology. Going back to, if I recall correctly, the 80s, which comes with a new wave of science fiction and the idea of this outlook on technology and how it's going to shape our civilization 20 minutes into the future. To quote some small stuff from our article, just because it, it gives the most succinct breakdown of it, we, we, we'd say that cyberpunk is rooted largely in new wave science fiction movements of the 60s and 70s. And yeah, so it, it gives birth to cyberpunk more in the 80s, but it, I mean, it's got its roots in the 60s and 70s in uh, people examining the impact of drug culture, technology, and sexual revolution while trying to avoid being too utopian. Like most earlier sci-fi things from things that usually become Adam Punk, for instance, which has got usually a slightly brighter bent than most of the other punk genres, for instance. And we had mentioned that before. Uh, it's, a, it's a darker take on that. It says what would happen to the world if we continue down this wave of pushing science and drugs uh, and sexual promiscuity to the extremes. Uh, what happens when we let our humanity kind of fall to the wayside? Those kinds of questions. Yeah, I agree with kind of what Red says, that um, cyberpunk seems more um, pronounced and more outrageous. For example, just to kind of very briefly, we were debating what does something look like uh, solar punk or not solar punk, whether something like atom punk or diesel punk or steampunk. But then when you see something that looks like cyberpunk, you probably won't double guess that this is cyberpunk. There is a very, um, it's very distinct in the usage of machinery, man and machinery coming together, or just kind of the pervading appearance of technology and pervasion of that technology. I'm not sure if this is the right example, but the one that comes to my mind is the Matrix. I agree. That's actually did not think of it. Yeah, the Matrix is uh, is actually an interesting. It's an inter- interesting example. Yeah, you could definitely call that cyberpunk, because uh, well, so one of the big things that you'll find in the cyberpunk genre is uh, usually you've got these people who are like basically virtual world hackers, but like yeah, it's all very tangible. Matrix, good example. 
the other other huge one that the other major example that people always can think back on that's just very plainly cyberpunk is Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> the works of Philip K. Dick and stuff like that are all just very, very cyberpunky. Uh, there's no question about it. William Gibson's Neuromancer. Exactly. Yep. Machines as people, and I guess people as as machines. I, I I'm a bit the uh, I'm a bit fake, not fake, rusty on my Matrix lore. So someone someone just I don't know if we should say spoilers. But am I thinking right? It's like essentially they, they go into the Matrix and it's pretty much a supercomputer and then they, they're pretty much playing VR at that point. Mm-hmm. Essentially because the world has been destroyed so they can't live in it uh, and the machines have come to survive on humans. Just want to point out for spoilers, the Matrix is 21 years old. Yeah. I think it's okay to spoil it. Woo! Boy, it is, isn't it? I don't want one angry letter from the one person who hasn't seen it who got spoiled because of our podcast. By the way, Bruce Willis is a ghost at the end. <laughs> oh my god. But this is kind of interesting because this is where it blurs the line. Mm-hmm, for sure. Matrix doesn't have a society. Is it cyberpunk? Or is it just science fiction? Well, the thing is it doesn't have a society but the robots that control the humans are the stand-in for like the evil corporation that the down and on out of luck hacker is fighting against in a typical story right exactly they represent that but like red was saying with dishonored where it's like oh it's this genre but they did a slight twist where it's animal fat instead of you know the generic steam for steampunk this one was instead of a corporation run by cybernetically enhanced humans no it's just actual straight ai but I do get what you're worried about there, Dino. It is still also post-apocalyptic work. Again, drawing the line on these is sometimes a little difficult. You can't just say that it is one thing or the other. Sometimes it's, it's I mean, nine times out of ten, you've got a smattering of genres happening. And yeah, The Matrix is an interesting, interesting example because it is sort of post-apocalyptic. There isn't much of a world left outside there. That's why people are usually quite content to live in the matrix one because they're ignorant of the fact that they're living in the matrix but also because there isn't much of a world out there that's one of the things that cypher points out to him he's like we have existed in reality it's awful it's like that's why i want to choose to stay in the matrix sorry maybe the matrix was a was a bad example maybe a better example would be the sci-fi novel snow crash it's like basically this is this society where you have technology that is allows you to enter kind of like VR, enter a virtual world. Um, and there is like a, uh, uh, like a, a bug that's being spread that basically makes people like empty headed, I, I believe. Yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with it. But yeah, that's, that's how I recall it being explained to me more or less. Yeah, that's uh, Snow Crash is a good example of, of cyberpunk too. Yeah. If you want another example of cyberpunk, there's also Cyberpunk 2077, which has literally got its genre in the title. It also has Keanu in it, so you know it's cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why The Matrix is cyberpunk. It's got Keanu Reeves. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> Time travel? Yeah. I'll buy it. This, this brings up an interesting point, though. Not the Keanu Reeves one, because he's just amazing. But the actual definition of cyberpunk if you can bend it with the matrix and bend it with more ai and computer focused stories can you bend it in the other direction like with steampunk with magic 
does magic have a place in cyberpunk? Because I know that one of the more, at least when when I was first starting to to play and, and talk to people online about tabletop RPGs, oh, forever ago, one of the big ones was Shadowrun, which takes place in 20 minutes in the future yes. with hyper technology and you can go into the internet and all this other thing. But, you know, the goblining happened and your cousin's now a troll. And, oh yeah, that guy's an elf and there's magic and insect spirits are trying to bring void monsters into reality and everything is bad because a dragon became president for 15 minutes. <laughs> well, so I want to ask you the question... Have you seen another example of cyberpunk with magic? Never, I don't think. Bright. See, oh, okay. Let's not let's not talk about that. <laughs> I I don't think that counts. I think that's more urban fantasy than cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's it it doesn't even classify as alt history because nothing in history really changed. <laughs> but boy, let's not get down that road. <laughs> no, uh, for me, pulling out. Pulling that out as an example is 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 good because yeah I mean it, this goes right back to the dishonored thing again too that's what sets it apart is the fact that they're kind of the only guys who said let's do cyberpunk but it's in a world where it's now post magic uh, magic has become a thing in the world but it's still moved forward to that cyberpunk stage that's what makes that setting so unique and very very interesting and and they play with both of those parts very well. I love Shadowrun. I got introduced to it like earlier this, late last year. So I've since been reading the lore and had the chance to play it. But I want to say that's a good example of cyberpunk and magipunk. But it's not an example to use as saying this is how you do magic with cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. And I, I say that because if you kind of play the game or you read the lore, you can exist as a purely like cybernetic human person and be great and do stuff, and you'll encounter people with magic. Right, right. But, and granted, Magipunk makes it very difficult, but I think the cyberpunk on its own in that setting can kind of stand on its own. It's not inherently required that you have magic to use cybernetics or that cybernetics are powered by, by magic. And in that case, I guess Shadow also has biopunk, but biopunk's everywhere, so never mind. So as far as like the magic side of Shadowrun goes, it feels definitely like it is Magipunk, but it's not cyberpunk that is using magic, if that makes sense. Now, with what we talked about earlier about over-definitions, what is Magipunk to you? I think of it as like technology, or rather magic, is kind of becoming a technological analog. There are things that can be replicated with magic, or rather the option in that world for that option is of a magical nature, whether it's by powered up by magic or the means to it are by like spells or enchantments or some other reasoning that connects it to what is considered magic. And that's why when I was thinking of why I said that towards Shadowrun is that they had the base technology to do cybernetics that don't rely on people casting spells or doing magic, which is why I think it was more of a combination rather than cyber or cyberpunk using magipunk. But I can see your point in that you can eventually kind of, there is a blurring of the lines of when is it cyberpunk using magic or when is it magipunk? And I can't really give a good answer because I think it would be relative to a setting more often than that. Would it be more relevant to the aesthetics you're using in that setting? Because if magitech and the idea of magipunk is so broad that you could have something like, say, Final Fantasy, I believe six, the one with the airship, you can have something like that versus something like Shadowrun being magipunk, wouldn't Shadowrun then be more towards cyberpunk because of the aesthetic? of 
downtown Seattle and skyscrapers, corporate espionage, all that is still so central to the point of Shadowrun. It just has magic. Yeah, I would. That's exactly how I would look at it, though. To be one hundred percent honest, yeah, Shadowrun is just cyberpunk, but it has magic. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a whole another genre for that, but that may just be though because there isn't a whole lot of other examples of that. I mean, I think it's that there are a lot of examples. It's like biopunk, though. Yeah, you have things that lean that way, but then you run into a lot of gray areas if you're gonna if you're gonna run that way full bore, though. Yes. So it's the idea that magipunk is a device to be used, magitech, as it is kind of also called is more of a device to be used versus being its own genre, kind of like biopunk, where it has this blurred line that maybe people don't want to see. Yeah, but Magitech is pushing in a different direction. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's exactly how I'd look at it. You're right. I might have an example that is for Magipunk and Magitech without really being cyberpunk. And this, this might be stretching it, and I might hear groans. But Naruto ended but it had a sequel series. And in that sequel series, they started doing technology that replicates the abilities of the ninjas, which is jutsu, while also kind of in undergrowing this. Um, within like 10 years, they were modernized, like had trains and stuff in the city. It was kind of weird. So it was a massive leap from like buses or cars to suddenly like citywide monorails. And Part of it was kind of experimental using of jutsu that normal people can use because ninjas before had to be trained and not everyone could do it. But now there was this technology that is starting to kind of come up. And there was also a lot of labs of going on in that world beforehand. But now it's actually kind of getting highlighted of how advanced and how experimental things could be with jutsu. And I think you accidentally created a new genre by saying magipunk. <laughs> Because the way you defined it immediately made me think of, and I don't have a whole lot of experience in this realm, so someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Avatar and Legend of Korra, uh, when you said that a world yeah. a world where magic is sort of the technology, that's immediately what my mind went to. We have technology, but it relies on people using magic on that technology in order for it to work, which I have never heard before. Okay, real quick, though. <laughs> Before we overtake this Naruto comment that needs to be quashed, <laughs> Naruto did not jump ahead in technology. Those those guys had wireless headsets and flat screen TVs. It's true. <laughs> like in the Chunin exam. What on earth? The thing though with both like the reason, at least for me, I feel hesitant to say Naruto or your Legend of Korra or Avatar examples are punk is because they don't fit with the style of stories that are told in the punk genre. They feel like fantasy stories that have some technology thrown in as opposed to punk stories that have have fantasy elements thrown in. And that's a distinction, like we said at the beginning, you're trying to save your humanity against dehumanizing technology in some form. That's the key component that makes it feel like a punk story. You're rebelling against the mainstream, etc. That's why they use the word punk and stuff like that. And all these other, those two examples specifically, feel like they're coming at it from the opposite way. They're a different genre that's borrowing elements from this. Yeah, absolutely. And look at that. Chris, by the way, folks, was worried that he doesn't know enough about punk genres before we started. This. Look at him reining it back in to that central point. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Chris. <laughs> 
to to respond to that, suddenly I started thinking of solar punk. Then is that then what's the what's the conflict with solar punk? Because it's kind of taking the same approach in the case of let's say the core example. Because I think it's a lot better than what I brought up. But like my my thought was there, my intent was there. It's like it's taking something that was initially human uh, and bending and doing all that stuff is a very kind of human thing, and it's a very human thing that was given to them by magic beasts. But whatever semantics. And then turning it into a technology and making that technology kind of accessible, and thereby I think something that could have kind of been for, that gets further, uh, what's that called? That can be further examined is when you have this once human thing that's turned into technology that is then set out or rather exposed, given out to a wider population. That is something that can be explored as a form of conflict. Is what happens when you turn humans or something that is associated with humanity into technology. And I feel as, at least that is a punky conflict that can be explored. So you're you're asking what does solar punk do in that regard then if it doesn't if it's not fighting against that whole humanity is turning into technology and losing itself sort of thing. Oh, I admittedly went off the grills because I started with solar punk and it got to my other example. <laughs> but yeah, when when Chris brought that I thought but then what's solar punk compared to his, what he defined? I think that was like what we said with the 1984 example, because you have to imagine what solar punk would realistically be like if they were trying. We have technology and it's solved global climate change and, and inequalities, et cetera, right? But that's going to require certain sacrifices of people. We're going to tell you when to have children and how many to have. We're going to make sure every job has equal representation. So even though you might be good at this and you want to do it, you can't because we have enough of your gender, your ethnicity, et cetera represented in this field already. And so your the struggle is going to be, I'm trying to find my humanity in this extremely limiting technological society that even though it has benefits and it's doing good work, it's still dehumanizing me in a way. It's ruining my individuality. That's the interesting thing about solar punk is, it again, it was designed to be the punk of punks. It takes all the things, all the really dark parts of these other punk genres and says, what if that's not the case? What if we do move forward in a future that's bright and happy and suddenly we reach a world where we don't have to worry about people's uh, being different because we've become so you know, beyond that? But you have to realize that, like, uh, like Chris said, there's going to be trade-offs to those sort of things. Now, I do want to throw in a caveat. Uh, Solar Punk does not rely on the same sort of things that 1984 has. It doesn't suggest that equality comes about because people's individuality is removed. In fact, SolarPunk argues that the the uh, politically speaking liberal viewpoint of a world in which people have become accepting of each other's individuality, we've reached a point where we no longer worry about, uh, I don't know the best way to put this, but like we basically have reached a, a point where nature and humanity and our ability to see each other as human beings has kind of reached its pinnacle. But yeah, Chris brings up an excellent point in that in order to reach that point, we are going to have to make some sort of sacrifices. And I think that's one of the fun places where solar punk's conflicts could be born from. But again, as a young genre, it doesn't have it. It's taking the utopianism out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's basically any question that you could ask of cyberpunk or steampunk or any of the other punk genres, it's basically flipping that on its head. What's the opposite of that? What happens if we take it too far? Uh, what if we reach such a bright future that we don't realize what we've lost history is cyclical mm-hmm. <laughs> check out that episode of the podcast 
So I think that's the interesting thing. Solar punk hasn't gotten to that point, though. Again, it's a young genre. I would like to see more people trying to find what sort of conflicts would naturally occur in a solar punk world, because people just haven't yet. Again, it's only five, six years old. It could use some work. So you're probably just not seeing it in Machinate because it isn't there yet. So you're right. <laughs> but uh, there's there's room for growth. Very exciting growth. Okay. Um, we will move on next, I think. D- does that count for Magic Punk 2? <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> I guess we'll quickly just touch the idea because we, we talked about Magic Punk, but there's also the idea of urban fantasy, which is kind of a punk genre. This and Fantastical Noir are kind of hand in hand because they have a lot of the same thematic elements with how they tell stories, kind of grittier, darker stories on a human level, generally speaking. Um, and urban fantasy is just the idea of having a modern day, say, city like New York City, but secretly, or in the case of something like Bright, not so secretly, fairies and trolls live there as well as humans. And there's this whole other level to the world. Things like Fables, the comic series that's also from the Wolf Among Us game series, and Holly Black's Tithe and such on novels um, are great examples of urban fantasy. In that case, I think that's where um, the tech part of punks kind of shines and what kind of what distinguishes urban fantasy from being just considered another uh, part of one of the punks or magic punk or what have you is technology isn't exactly that much of a determinant for either aesthetic or kind of focus. And I know I'm, I might sound a bit uh, a bit kind of counter counterintuitive or counterproductive to. So my other points that there's more to punks and technology. In this case, it's actually the lack of the focus is a very important aspect of what discerns it. Yeah, if I were to think of, like, say, the magicians, for example, I definitely would not consider them to be, like, within the punk genre, even though aspects of it are very anti-establishment. Yeah, and it's definitely urban fantasy, which it's a really great genre, and you should check more stuff out in it, especially the magicians, great TV series and book series. To keep things moving real quick, we will just cover a quick rant on my end. When doing research for this, I came across Sandal Punk, which is yeah. one of his examples is like 300, the movie about the Spartans. And uh, one of my favorite books, Mary Renault's The Funeral Games, and the, the series that that's in, uh, which is about the death of Alexander the Great, which also is rise in earlier books, but Funeral Games, great novel with the Diadochi Wars. And I found it weird that they were calling it this punk genre when I've always kind of seen it as sword and sandals, a play on the sword and sorcery genre, um, being more down to earth or at least bronze age versus medieval. So yeah, just, I don't get why it's a soul, why it's a punk genre. Apparently it is things like 300 gladiator funeral games. Great examples of it. Brant over. I'm going to hard disagree. That does not sound like a punk genre at all. Okay, so yes, let me... Okay, brief aside, but it's it's an on-topic aside. Sandal punk is a terminology used jokingly to refer to these sort of things. But, I mean, I guess that's kind of the point of it. So I can't really argue with it being classified as a punk genre, but it's not a punk genre. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun term to come along. To be 100% honest, though, that's exactly what happened to Steampunk, though, too. Uh, steampunk was a joke 
uh, at first, uh, the three people who tried to piece it together were like, well, what can we call this genre that we're kind of trying to play with? And they're like, well, we call it steampunks. And so it became a thing. Who knows, man? Uh, there could be room for sandal punk revolution well, at some the, point. The, but... the, the joke is, Red, that sandal punk already is a genre. It's sword and sandal. Like that's already yeah. an actual thing that people <laughs> identify with it. Exactly. This my whole point is that people are over identifying genres again. Like it's it yeah. it's too much focus for no reason. Absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I agree <laughs> with pretty much the nose and the ants, but and also to the over identifying. In that case, I guess just to be slightly serious about the matter, it's like I'll, I'm gonna give it kind of similar treatment to I gave to urban fantasy in that. When you gave me those examples, like 300, I'm like, wait, what's punk about? I guess the anti-establishment, but that's not exactly just punk. And maybe my point is that punk is more of a mixture of these facets than necessarily something that has pillars. If you have one, a single one, it'll count for it. You might need a combination. However, as you bring it up, I start thinking of Assassin's Creed, particularly because some of the older ones. and I don't know if that would count as sandal punk, but the technology in like the Assassin's Creed series, like going back to like I guess Origins and now Odyssey, where there's like ancient technologies available and only a handful of people get it, but whenever they do, it's it makes waves because of the things that people could do with it. I don't know if that would count as a punk either. I'm not sure. Probably unpopular notion. You already have made too many of those. Assassin's Creed is Magitech. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't there like time traveling? Uh, it's it's alt, alt history. It's alt history with Magitech in it uh, because yeah. you've got this. I only say this because it's they argue that it's technically actually technology, but I mean it's to the point where the things it can do are pretty mythical. The apples of Eden and stuff like that, for instance, they can do things that you're like, yeah, no matter, no amount of science is gonna explain how that actually works. I would argue it's alt history with Magitech, not a punk. I agree with the magic part because there's nothing to explain to Apples of Eden. And I guess the only technological part. The ancient ones say it is a technology. So, I mean, there's that. Yeah, you're right. We'll uh, we'll discuss the lore of Assassin's Creed one day, I guess. But moving on, our punks. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, alt history is a topic. Come on, guys. We have, we have to do it. <laughs> So there were three other small ones before we get into the the two last big ones that we haven't really talked about, which are Atom Punk, Apunkalypse, and Dungeon Punk. And Apunkalypse is probably my my favorite one out of the three, just for how the, the name is hysterical, just Apocalypse. And it's stuff like Mad Max and Waterworld are considered this. I feel bad for Waterworld gets a lot of bad rap because it is a pretty bad movie, uh, but it is a cool world. <laughs> just gonna, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> then we also have Dungeon Punk, which is essentially just your D&D world, but magic tech is a problem, um, which I kind of found cool. It's the idea of like stuff like Eberron and some of the Magic the Gathering settings like Ravnica, where it's just too much magic and it's kind of the cause of every issue in the setting can throw in um, a little bit of Pathfinder's Galarian. They have certain countries that have essentially nuked themselves with magic. Yeah, yeah, like well, the mana waste that separate uh, Keb, uh, Geb and Nex or whatever those two are. Yeah. And uh, maybe even uh, Lapisa or 
the international censored version of the of the anime Castle in the Sky because uh, they had that whole the world exists there not the world but the uh, the floating city exists with so much magic before it kind of like imploded. And yeah, and I, I think this is one that you see in anime a lot is kind of this like magic is kind of going to destroy us and we have magical technology and something bad happened in the past where this kind of messed up. And yeah, I, I think like Castle in the Sky is a good example of that uh, mixed with some aesthetics of um, solar punk. You got a lot of games that fall into that category too. things like Rune Factory and stuff like that, where it's like they don't even bother trying to explain where half the technology and stuff like that comes from. It's just kind of there and it's a part of the aesthetic. Bastion. Yeah. That one comes to mind. The sorry, I don't know if this counts as Dungeon Punk. It might be Magic Punk. I started thinking of the Atlantis movie from Disney, where the whole premise was that. Yeah, that yeah, that actually would be a very weirdly apt example. Yeah. No, I just brought it up. I was like, ah, oh, might be. It, it, it's. It, I, I try not to think about it because some of it was kind of depressing. Yes, I agree with that. Journey. Journey is another great example. Would Neon Genesis Evangelion count? Yeah, but very potentially. I know that it was also it's also kind of considered biopunk for spoiler reasons, but um, I, I think <laughs> I think it definitely kind of considers itself in into this dungeon punk area where it's like heroes have to fight to defeat the thing and and solve the issue with the magic that's also uh, the magic technology that's kind of ruining the world. And it's I I guess dungeon punk feels like it's hero versus magitech. For, for this something versus something that we have in all our punks. Mm-hmm. But the real question is, what kind of punk are Gundams in? In giant mechs? I don't know if they are punk. Yeah, I, I wouldn't quite call them a punk. Uh, they're just kind of a... You know, that's fair. They're just a sci-fi. Yeah, just sci-fi or science fiction. And the very important mention, what kind of punk is Harry Potter in? Ah, I don't think that one's a punk either. A punk lips. Uh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> Urban fantasy. I don't. I don't talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> Too late. I hate Harry Potter. I'm gonna go on a 15 minute rant about Harry Potter. No, I'm not. Okay, I think Harry Potter is a punk lips because there's no way you're gonna tell me that the world hasn't ended multiple times because of magic and the wizards just made everyone forget. If that were the story, it would be so much more interesting to me. <laughs> okay. From here, I guess we will f- touch this last one with Adam Punk, which is the days of tomorrow today. This is really characterized by an art deco, 40s, 50s kind of aesthetic, the greatest generation, all of that kind of Flash Gordon-esque world that it kind of puts forward. Things like Flash Gordon and other things like Fallout kind of fall into this. Fallout's world, especially before the bombs, you know, is this alt history line going from, you know, 1940s up to 2077 and then it becomes a punkalypse fallout fallout it's alt history too yeah the jetsons the jetsons did you say the jetsons are an adam punk it's fair they are probably in my my opinion the quintessential adam punk uh, you don't really have to look any further than that it's true uh Imakine, what were you gonna say i was uh, i was gonna say uh like with the adam punk it's uh in fallout's case i think they handle it really really well because what they did was correct me if i'm wrong they essentially wrote out the invention of um was it the cathode that uh, that pretty much whatever allows modern computers to be modern computers which is why you only see those kind of clunky looking computers despite them being from like 2050 or what have you mm-hmm. 
it was like they cut out a technology that kind of that rationalized why there would be an over reliance on something like nuclear power. Yeah, I don't remember the exact years on the timeline, but basically because of nuclear war, they don't reach that point. They after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they realize maybe we should not nuke each other and instead use atomic power for good. It's very similar to what we have already done. But yeah, they reach a point uh, in the computing world where they aren't able to reach quite where we are uh, because of that. And yeah, I agree. It handles that that aesthetic very well. That the whole thing is just beautiful. It's a mixture of post-apocalypse and the atom punk genre, and that's again uh, mixing things together allows you to create some really really unique and very cool settings it was the microprocessor by the way that's what they didn't develop yes there it is yeah um and this kind of whole episode really brings up to mind maybe we can go into some dissections later on about different settings maybe like fallout and harry potter but harry's potter is not a punk red appears just to berate harry potter no no harry Harry Potter himself <laughs> is a punk, but the Harry Potter books are not. <laughs> so if the main character's a punk, that makes it a punk. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> He's fighting against the establishment. These are two different usages of punks that don't go together. <laughs> J.K. Rowling's a punk. <laughs> so now that we briefly ignored Adam Punk, um, we'll just jump into the only one of these punks that matters, and that's Diesel Punk, and it's just my favorite one. I just love the aesthetics of Diesel Punk, these big boxy machines, this gritty World War II look to everything. And on one hand, you'll have Nazi occultists, ray guns, super tech, all of it. It's so cool. And it's the stories in it are absolutely insane, like Atomic Robo style stuff, Hellboy stuff. Yeah, and it and it falls into this very fun space in between steampunk and uh, atom punk, and that's I, th- I agree. That's one of the things that makes it super cool. Uh, you have a lot of actually old old speculative fiction that actually fits right into this category. Visions of what people thought the future would be like, the same stuff that sort of ends up informing informing atom punk too. If you want a good example of diesel punk, uh, a lot of people will argue because of the airships that this is actually steampunk, but it's not. Uh, go and watch it sometime. And you'll actually see it's diesel punk. Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow. Kind of so like great. Harry Potter. Uh, is and it even, it even is shot punk like a film Nazis. noir sort of thing. And that's it's just it plays with all of the possible things you could play with uh, in that diesel punk uh, ideology and stuff like that. It's so cool. Uh, Wolfenstein as well is is very diesel punk. And then Iron Skies, a lot of diesel punk and stuff involves Nazis coming back. I'm not going to lie. It's just kind of a trope, kind of like how Harry Potter is a punkalypse. Diesel punk has Nazis. <laughs> Isn't that um, the same where like that's just the thing when you were speaking about steampunk specifically and you brought up that they had a lot of literature where they were just fascinated with the occult um, that kind of carried over into the world war ii era where the nazis and hitler and there's all that other stuff where they were very interested in the cult and so it kind of got dragged along with the genre right yeah yeah yes yeah, wasn't it mentioned really that during like a pre-chat talk that captain america is one of these punks the first movie the first avenger yes because it has yeah it's nazis. Punk because it has super science and nazis and <laughs> that's all it, it takes has a- to be diesel punk is nazis <laughs> <laughs> well it takes it takes you know one of these three things a cult 
a diesel engine, a ray gun, or a Nazi, and right. you have diesel punk. And any any combination of those works beautifully. That does highlight though that it fits kind of what we've been saying with the punks is that in this case the Nazis are kind of the larger threat that the smaller people, if it is small people, or at least that is like one of the it's the opposition more often than not. Uh if there is a work out there that paints uh, diesel punk with the Nazis as the side you're supposed to root for, someone can correct me, but I can't think of any right now. If there is, it's probably satire. I sure hope so. <laughs> One can only hope, <laughs> yes. Anyways. Uh, another really super good uh, example and probably one of the most underrated movies of all time, The Rocketeer. Yeah. Oh, God. So much good diesel punk. So many good mm. movies. Diesel Punk is sadly over overlooked a lot too. Uh, and again, I think that's because it fall it falls sandwiched between Steampunk and Adam Punk, which have got some relative popularity. Steampunk obviously being the second largest punk out there, and Adam Punk being something that's just kind of always been in the background of the American mind, for instance. I would honestly say Steampunk's probably the biggest one, with Cyberpunk only kind of getting more notoriety as of late. Um I yeah, I mean, that's there's yeah. more steampunk settings, books, all of that. It's just it's a much more popularized. Um, I would argue, though, that like on the whole, it's just that cyberpunk is more mainstream than steampunk is. But yeah, that's yeah, you're right. On that note, I'd, I'd argue it's also an ebb and flow of relevance and popularity because cyberpunk mm-hmm. does tend towards kind of those dystopian feels and in this case because of um real live news and current events i'm not getting gonna get into there is a there might be a certain feeling that resonates perhaps more with cyberpunk compared to let's say the in my mind the more positive light on innovation and the aesthetic of steampunk where it's like it's it's exciting um but sometimes but cyberpunk when i think of cyberpunk i'm not always excited to see what sort of technology they did because it often does not have good repercussions for uh for for most people i think there's also a thing that contributes to the ebb and flow of the popularity for cyberpunk at least i know there was a while where people were just mocking all of the old cyberpunk literature and not and movies and things like that because like we have passed the years that they all expected it to be in we're past Blade Runner's year that it was set in, and no one has any flying cars, so all of us were ripped off. But they are working on androids. That's true. Yeah, it is the cynicism, though. Uh, I agree with that. Let's be real. Ray Bradbury uh, has been spot on about everything he wrote about, though. You could argue he's a regular sci-fi writer, but he does some stuff that could be considered along the lines of, of Adam Punk, and a lot of those things have come true. He's a futurist. Like H.G. Wells. Still waiting for my time machine, though. H.G. Wells doesn't get points until then. Well, to be fair, he did say it was speculative of one man in a workshop creating it, so and then later destroying it, which. (laughs) But the ebbs and do's and don'ts of time travel aside, I think we talked about all of them. There are a bunch of punk genres, but yes, we have pretty much covered them. Okay, we talked about all of them. What about bug punk? How about bread punk? Please no. <laughs> or Ray Punk, which is actually what Star Trek is considered. Ooh. All right. So I promised a machinate for coming on. She'd get to talk about bread punk. Go. All right. So bread punk. Everyone needs bread. Everyone loves bread. But you know what? There are people who would rather see them all toasted and kept for themselves and to only give us the hard 
very unsustainable crumbs of this bread. And we, the people who love bread, have to fight to maintain our freedom to get bread. I say those who prefer the crust of bread have lost their humanity. And now I can argue why this is a punk. One, there is something. The name bread, it's like it's everywhere in bread punk. It's the thing that people fight for. It's vital to the setting. Two, there is conflict. There is a conflict between the people who like bread and people who would rather to see it toasted, the toast corpse, as I like to call them. And three, well, it's bread punks. I, I feel like that's just a good reason for it to be a punk. I, I love it. I cannot wait to read bread punk. You, you've converted me. God damn it. I just want to consume bread. All right. Well, I think I'm going to take closing statements and then I myself am going to go consume some bread. So what do you all think about punks in 500 words or less? Total. No rants. Well, I'll just center. Like I said, I think the key thing is the struggle for retaining your humanity against some form of technological overarching thing that you want. And like we said, if you want diesel, that's your technology. You want cyber, that's what you pick. So pick which technology you want to fight for your humanity against, and then that'll be the punk for you. Despite my mini expose on bread punk, uh, more seriously now, I'm actually excited to see what the likes of a cyberpunk, especially cyberpunk, but generally any punk will produce within the next probably 100 years. Just because we have been in a time that has increasingly made these technological advancements and so our general outlooks on technology and how it will affect humanity is constantly changing. And I think that's a challenge now for creators who want to get into any of the punk genres or want to do a punk work to, to find ways to both innovate while also integrating kind of the, the zeitgeist of what we think of technology and how it is used. I think punk is a really fun and interesting way of combining these elements of technology and these elements of what it means to be a part of a world in which technology has such a strong influence. And, you know, take it and run with it. It's just, it's such a great place to start off from when world building is just, you have this technology you can start with and then branch out from. Makes it, I mean, you know, the research part of it is always going to steal your heart but yeah and make it more queer the the history of punk starts with gay people if you read gay new york by george chauncey you'll see his little insert about the origin of the word punk put it back in there yeah i would just say don't be afraid to play with some things punk genres were made to be played with they don't get played with enough we mentioned all of these punk genres and you've probably heard of a few of them but you definitely haven't heard of all of them and that's because punk genres don't get the attention that they probably deserve. Go out there and find a, a, a punk genre that speaks to you, like Chris said. Play with it. Write in it. I mean, like everyone else said, I guess. And if you haven't, definitely give solar punk some love because it's got a, it's got a place in, in my heart here. And that's why we're doing a fun collaborative world build on that. It's just, it could be a very exciting place to go, that Terra Incognita. For me, I would just say and as a cautious reminder as all things we say on here do what you like find one that interests you if dungeon punk or sandal punk or atom punk or diesel punk or any of them interest you just go for it try to find the story that you want to tell the themes you want to use or figure out how you can take everything and every punk we mentioned today and jam them all into one setting and make it your magnum opus 
God, that'd be awesome if done well. I would so read that. And that's the entire essence of what we talked about today is just these are interesting things that you can use to better understand the world around us. So I'll leave you here today with a quote from William Gibson, the father of the punks. I took punk to be the detonation of some slow, fused projectile buried deep in society's flank a decade earlier, and I took it to be, somehow, a sign of something better. Thank you. You've been tuned into Worldcasting, an affiliate production of Worldbuilding Magazine. Have any feedback, comments, questions, or concerns? You can get in touch with us on our website, worldbuildingmagazine.com. There you can find links to our social media. Or feel free to come chat with us on the Worldbuilding Magazine Discord server. Thanks for listening to Worldcasting, and until next week, keep worldbuilding. building.